Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Super excited about the next few weeks as we encounter um, a topic that I love to talk about, and that is in Luke chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, uh, open up to Luke 17. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. You don't want to miss this. You want to read for yourself Luke chapter 17. And again, we're studying the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And uh, as we come to verses 20 through 37, we start to look at what's called eschatology or the study of end times. Jesus begins to tell us about what is to come, these things to come, about the coming kingdom. Because, you know, as he is there, there is anticipation, there is expectation for this coming kingdom. And Jesus is being asked these questions, and so he is going to answer them. And I'll tell you what, these verses are like, an, uh, you know, they're, they're an eschatological goldmine. I mean, there are nuggets all through here, and so I, I thought initially I could get through it in one setting, but there's no way. And so we're going to just get through uh, verses 20 through 25 this morning, but uh, there is plenty there for us. And so stand with me, if you would, please. We're going to read Luke chapter 17. We're going to look at the whole uh, the verses 20 through 37, but we're going to really primarily focus today on verses 20 through 25. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see the one of the, um, see the one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there and look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. And that clears it all up for us. So, Lord, we thank you so much for this morning and for the opportunity to be able to, to have a little Q&A with Jesus. Lord, one of the most anticipated questions in all the world, when is your kingdom coming? Lord, we long to see your kingdom. We long to see your kingdom because when your kingdom comes, the king will come. We long to see Jesus. Lord, would you help us to understand the chronicles of the coming kingdom, Lord, what we should be looking for how we as your church should be living in these last days. 
Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to glean from your scripture this morning something that would change our lives. Lord, we want to hear from you. You're a life changer. And so God, speak to, our li- speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I was thinking when I came to this text, I was thinking, you know, if you had an opportunity to ask Jesus one question, like if he could just materialize right now, you could ask him one question, what would the question be? What question would you have for Jesus? For some of you, and maybe some cosmic question, you know, some, some great theological question, some question about, you know, the universe or how things work or why things are the way they are or whatnot. You might have a question about that, yet others of you may have, it may be a little bit more of a personal question. Maybe something about why the Lord allowed something in your life or why he, he allowed this to happen or whatnot or, or why that person is no longer here. Why did that happen, Lord? Could be, could be that as well, but there are a million questions that we could ask Jesus. And yet, one of the most anticipated questions, one of the most important questions when Jesus walked the earth that he was asked by almost everyone, including his own disciples, multiple times, was when will your kingdom come? When will your kingdom come? It's a question that's been in the heart of man uh, ever since time began. When will your kingdom come? We want to know these things. We want to know when Jesus will come and he will set his earthly kingdom upon this earth. Well, we're grateful that God gives us some indications that Jesus answers the question, that he tells us a little bit about what we can expect, what the chronicles are as it relates to the coming kingdom, what the events will take place. We can look around and we can kind of see. Jesus kind of gives us some understanding of that. And yet, even though we have information, there's a lot of misconceptions about this topic. There's a lot of misunderstandings about what it means for this coming kingdom. There are different eschatological views as it relates to end times and how you know, Jesus is going to come. And, and whether it's in a physical sense or in a spiritual sense, whether it's in a literal, whether it's a literal kingdom or a figurative one. The three most common views that we have as it relates to this millennial thing is premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennialism. You can say that really fast, Beetlejuice, 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 it'll just pop up at you. But uh, premillennialism, what is that? What does it mean if you're a premillennialist? Well, it means that you look at the Bible, you look at Bible prophecy literally, you look at the covenants that God has made with man literally. You believe that the second coming of Christ will occur prior to a literal 1,000-year reign of Jesus, which is when the kingdom of God will come physically. So you believe that Jesus will come at the end of the tribulation period. You believe that that will will start the millennial period, and Jesus will reign for a literal 1,000 years on earth, and after that is over, God will create a new heavens and a new earth. That is premillennialism, that Jesus will come before the millennial kingdom, and then he will bring it into store. All millennialism... All millennialism, uh, if you're an all-millennialist, you don't believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Jesus. You consider that to be figurative, and you believe that Jesus is now currently sitting on the throne of David and is at this very time, uh, the kingdom is present through the church, and Jesus is reigning. You don't necessarily believe anything more than that about that re- relates to that. If you're post-millennialist, 
You believe that Jesus will come at the end of a figurative millennium. So you believe that, you know, there'll be some period of time, not necessarily a thousand years, it's just a term. It doesn't mean what it says. If you're post-millennialist, you don't take the word literally. It's just a long period of time. And Jesus will only come, this is interesting, he will only come after the Christians have established the kingdom of God on earth. And so it's all about you and about you establishing God's kingdom here on earth, not about Jesus coming and establishing it. So to me, the only one that makes sense is a premillennial uh, viewpoint. But again, there are lots of different viewpoints as it relates to the kingdom of God and when Jesus will come and set up his kingdom. And here's the thing. There are many, many different interpretations and understandings but the, it's not a problem of information. It's a problem of interpretation. It's not an information problem. Like we have the information. It's right here. But it's an interpretation problem. People interpret it the way that they want to interpret it. And so that's why it's so important when you get into the Word of God that you let the Word of God interpret itself. That you don't try and infuse the Scriptures with your own beliefs or your own opinions. If you do, you'll come up with all... That's why there's all kinds of views. The enemy is a great deceiver, and he loves to take, um, you know, he loves to implant opinions and things in our hearts, and then us make the scripture say what we want to say. And so we have to be careful when it comes to this. And so I say that as a warning, but I also think that, that, that because of that, many of you have said, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to talk about Bible prophecy. It's just too difficult to understand, and so I want to stay away from it. No, it's not too difficult to understand. It's all there, it's all right here. We have to do is simply read the word and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And so that's how we want to come at the scriptures, very simply. You know, I think theologians have done a great job of muddying waters and making it very difficult for us to understand. I mean, the scripture, let it say what it says. I, I'm a premillennialist. I take the, the scripture literally. I teach it literally. When it says something, we believe what it says. Unless, as Pastor Chuck would say, if the literal sense makes perfect sense, then make no other sense lest you make nonsense, right? Don't muddy it up. And many people have made a lot of nonsense out of trying to figure out what's figurative and what's, what is literal. Now, it's not an information problem, it's an interpretation problem. The Old Testament gave, uh, you know, the, those who lived in Jesus' day plenty of information about the coming of Christ, didn't they? I mean, there was plenty of biblical prophecy as it relates to the coming of the Messiah, and yet what happened? They missed him. They missed him. It wasn't an information problem. They had plenty of information. They just didn't interpret it correctly. As we look at the Old Testament, and we look at how it's written, we know this today because we're really scholarly and we uh, know the Greek and the Hebrew and all that stuff, and that's why we totally understand how the Messiah came and all that. No, you have it because you have the rest of the story, right? You have the, whole, the New Testament. It explains it all for you. But, but think if you're living back in these days, there's two lines of prophecy as it relates to the Messiah in the Old Testament. There is this one line of prophecy that speaks about a, a, a suffering servant that would come and lay down his life, a lamb that would be silent, that would be sent to slaughter, right? But yet there's this other line of prophecy in the Old Testament that would speak of a king that would come on a horse, a king that would come and take his kingdom back, and he would be a roaring lion that would devour anybody in his way. And so that both of them are in the Old Testament. Both of them are written. You know, you have Daniel talking about this king that would come. You got, you got um, you know, these different prophets talking about the, the coming Messiah. And then you also have the same line of people. Isaiah, you have, 
you know, talking about the suffering servant. You have Psalm 22, Psalm 16. All of these speaking about Jesus going to die. The Messiah will, be, will die and then, and then he will rise again from the dead. Why do I say all that? Because I'm telling you that the information was there. Like they didn't, it wasn't an information problem, it was an interpretation problem. They, they thought, they, they grabbed one line and they took off with it and they forgot the other, the rest of scripture. That's why it's so important to have a good working knowledge of the entire scriptures from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, that you don't just focus on one particular part of the Bible and that's all you know. You got to know it all. You want to know it all. The Bible says to study to what? Show yourself approved. Yeah, so we want to get into the Word of God. We want to be Bereans. We want to understand these things. And listen, you have the greatest teacher in the world. And I, you, know, you know I'm not talking about me. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. You have, the, you have a better teacher than if Jesus were sitting here right here speaking to you. It was the same teacher through him that was teaching you have in you, the Holy Spirit. Not that Jesus wasn't a great teacher, but he was a great teacher. But the Holy Spirit helped his people to understand you have the Holy Spirit in you, and so you can open God's Word, and you can start to read it, and you can understand it as it relates to prophecy. In fact, the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that comes with a built-in blessing for those who read it, who hear it, and who apply it. It's a built-in blessing for you, and so don't, don't be scared of prophecy. Don't be scared to dive into it and, and look into it for yourself. Jesus wants to answer these questions. As it relates to this. Listen, one out of 30 verses in the Bible speaks about Jesus' second coming or the end times. One out of 30. That means you can't open your Bible hardly. You can't do a devotion in the morning without coming across the subject. One out of 30 verses is going to talk about Jesus' second coming or end times. I find it ironic that although we have plenty of information, just as the Old Testament saints did, that there are many misconceptions and misunderstandings about the conquering king and his coming kingdom. Well, I'm thankful Jesus would know that to be the case, and he would give us some information specific from him as it relates to the coming kingdom. And so I've titled this, this message, Chronicles of the Coming Kingdom. Here we find Jesus unfolding the things that will take place as it relates to his kingdom. And yes, you guessed it, the rapture is one of them. It is, we're going to talk about that, but that'll come next week, so you can hold your horses on that. We're going to get to that, but it's, it's, uh, it's in the text. It's in the text, and so we'll talk about it. There's plenty of nuggets that we're going to look at here in uh, verses 20 through 25. I've divided the entire 20 through 37 into five different sections. Uh, the first one we're going to look at is the timing of the coming of the kingdom. Look at verse 20, where Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. You ever notice on the, the side view mirror of your car, maybe? Um, I, I, I noticed on mine it doesn't have it on there, but on some cars it still does, and it says objects may appear closer than they are, or, or objects may, be, may, may appear closer than they seem. That's because when you look at the, at, the, at the side view mirror, it's a skewed view. It's not a correct perspective of what's on the side of you or behind you. When you look at it, it projects the image smaller than it actually is. And so they put that warning on there so that uh, you don't actually think that you have a more room than you have. And some of you don't care anyway. And so you'll, make the, you'll just get over and you'll, 
you'll, he'll, you'll give them the hand thing in the back window, you know, thanks for letting me in, like they let you in, you just got yourself in, but whatever. So it, 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 we don't have the right depth perspective. When it comes to the question of the timing of the coming of the kingdom, when it would come, I think Jesus is saying to them, objects appear closer than they seem. Objects appear closer than they seem because what Jesus is telling them is the kingdom is here. Like it's in your midst. It is in Jesus, the kingdom of God. What do I mean? It's the kingdom is found in Jesus. Well, he is the king, and so at the very least, if you're the king, the kingdom comes with you when you go places, like you bring your kingdom. You know, when you're an ambassador of a country, you sort of are the ambassador of that country. You kind of bring your country with you. So when you're the king, you bring the kingdom. And so at the very least, we understand that. But it's way more than that. Like Jesus is not just kind of, you know, in a, in a, in a figurative sense, bringing the kingdom. He is the kingdom. Jesus Christ is the kingdom of God in a very literal sense. In order to understand that, we have to have a biblical understanding of the definition of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? What is it? I, I like this definition that Ken R. Hughes uh, gave us. And it, it said that the kingdom of God is described as the people of God in the place of God under God's rule. That is the kingdom of God. It's the people of God in the place of God under the rule of God. That is the kingdom of God. And, and, and we have a perfect picture of that in the book of Genesis. Before the fall, pre-fall, we have kind of this proto-kingdom where the very first kingdom, where it was the kingdom of God in the, the Garden of Eden. It was the people of God in the place of God under the rule of God. So we have that perfect picture there, post-fall or, or pre-fall. It was a wonderful place where God's people lived in God's place under God's rule. Unfortunately, that kingdom was destroyed from within. There was a revolution that happened. And you know the revolution. There was an uprising. Did he really say that you shall surely die? Oh, well, we're going to test that word out. We're going to see if that's really true. Uh, you know, just a word of advice, don't test God's word out because it always is true. It always is true. It will never fail. It never returns void. It accomplishes exactly what he set forth to accomplish when he told them that they should surely die if they disobey, if they, dis if they took part of taking some of that fruit, they should surely die. And that's exactly what happened. The kingdom fell at that point. And the king had to banish the two people that existed in that place along with the enemy. And not only that, but also all of humanity would be banished from the kingdom of God. But because God is for the people, God would make a way for us to be brought back into the kingdom. And, and right there at that very moment, you've heard me say this often, Jesus Christ was prophesied right there, right when they were being banished out of the kingdom. When judgment was being brought down, Jesus was being brought in. That's the kind of God that we serve. He loves us. He wants us to be reconciled to him. And so he would right away say, I know you just started a revolution and, and you're doing your own thing, but I'm going to bring a Savior that will bring you back in. I'm going to have to kick you out, but I'm going to bring you back in through a Savior. And so God would make what is called a covenant with man. 
It's a, an agreement between God and man. And it would be through these, through these covenants, these various different covenants. There's the Edenic covenant, which is the covenant that happened at the Garden of Eden between God and man. There is, you know, the Noahic covenant that God made between Noah and, and himself. There is the Abrahamic covenant between Abraham and man. And so you go, so on and so forth. The Davidic covenant, which was, you know, where, where God promised that David's throne would last forever. It was a covenant between him and David. And, and yet, every one of these covenants, the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, which is the law that was brought in, you know, all of that termed, all of these little uh, separate covenants, all termed as the Old Covenant in the, in the Old Testament. And so, God was saying from day one, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And he would, he would use that covenant between various different men that he would make covenants with, all speaking about the exact same thing, Jesus Christ coming. Every one of the people that Jesus that the, um, that God made the covenant with had something to do with the line of Jesus. It's something to do with it. God was making a covenant with man that He would bring us back into the kingdom. And so, when you talk about the kingdom of God, you can't just talk about the people of God in the place of God under the rule of God. You have to talk about the covenants of God. You have to bring those into the picture because they all relate to us coming back into the kingdom. But they all point us to Jesus. Every single one of them points us to Jesus in some way, shape, or form. And now we have this Messiah, this Savior, that would come on the scene. And Hebrews chapter 7, 22 tells us that it's a better covenant that would be found between man and God through Jesus Christ. A better covenant. We call it the new covenant. It's the covenant that God would make between man and himself that he promised to forgive our sins and restore us at the seat of the table of the king and his kingdom. And so to reference the king, the kingdom of God is to reference the covenants of God. And when Jesus would come, everything that Adam lost would be restored. All of it. it it's, Paul wrote to us in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. He said, for if one man, if by one man, uh, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus Christ is the kingdom of God because without Jesus, there is no kingdom for us. There is no way. There would be no way. Even through the old covenant, hear me out on this, because in the old covenant, where did, where did people die? When they died, where did they go? They didn't go to the kingdom. They went to a holding place. Yes, it was a paradise, but it was still, there was a distance between them and God until Jesus came. When Jesus came, the Bible tells us that he led captivity captive. He grabbed hold of those who were still not reconciled fully to God through this new covenant, through the blood of the Lamb. When his blood covered them, then they were fit to come into the kingdom. And he brought them into the kingdom. You understand that without Jesus, there is no kingdom. Without Jesus, even through the old covenant, there was no kingdom. God couldn't reconcile man to himself and bring us back into that kingdom until Jesus died and rose again from the dead because he is the kingdom of God. And so the Jews in Jesus' day knew this. They knew that the Messiah would bring the kingdom. Why do you think they're asking? This isn't sort of out-of-the-box question. This is the next logical question somebody would ask if the Messiah was on the scene. When's the kingdom coming? That's how they saw it. Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, prophesied that the kingdom would come through the Messiah. They were waiting for that. Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, talking about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, and through him, he would bring his kingdom. So they're, 
They, they, got, they grabbed hold of this one line of prophecy through the Old Testament and they said, that's how it's going to be. He's going to bring his kingdom now. Where's the kingdom? And so we have the question, when will the, your kingdom come? Now, there's a question as to the tense of the question here as it relates to what, what they were asking. Like, are they being sarcastic? Like, hey, if you're the Messiah, then where's the kingdom? Like, you're not the Messiah because the kingdom's not here. That's one viewpoint. Or, or the other viewpoint is that you know, they're legitimately asking, we believe who you are, and so where's the kingdom? Like, we want to know. And, of course, the disciples would fall into that line. They believed in Jesus, who he was, but they were also waiting to see him restore Israel. They were waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Now, here's what I think, is it doesn't really matter the tense of the question, does it? What matters is the answer. What really matters, we don't have to figure out what people were meaning by their question. What we can do is look at Jesus' answers, because that's really... What matters and what does Jesus tell us? He tells us that the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. You're not going to see it the way that you see it. In other words, the way that you interpret the scriptures is inaccurate, and so you're not going to see it the way that you think you're going to see it. It's not going to be observed by your human eyes because the first coming of Christ, it's a spiritual coming of the kingdom. Like, remember when in, in the Garden of Eden when, when God said, you shall surely die? Remember that word, there's two different deaths that occurred in the Garden of Eden, right? There was a physical death and a spiritual death. Both happened simultaneously the moment they disobeyed God. So there is a twofold restoration process that will happen as it relates to the kingdom of God. So what will happen is, somebody comes uh, to Christ, there is a spiritual restoration of the kingdom, he is here. He's present. Jesus Christ. He is the kingdom of God. But there will also be a physical restoration of the kingdom of God on earth. One day, Jesus will come. Jesus is telling them it's not going to come in ways that can be observed, nor will he say, look, it's here or there. It's not going to be a progressive coming of, of the kingdom of God. In other words, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to come like, oh, it's here in this section, kind of like, you know, an army would take over the world once, one, you know, one, one piece of property at a time. That's not the way the kingdom of God comes. It comes all at once. Like Jesus isn't waiting. Like he's, he's conquering the world all at once when he comes. He's, when he brings his kingdom, it's like all kingdoms will part ways and he will set up his kingdom and there will be no progressive, you know, um, coming into the kingdom of God. It will happen. The kingdom isn't going to come like their theology thought. So what does Jesus say? He says the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Translation, objects appear closer than they seem. Objects appear closer than they seem. It's right before you. Now, your version of the Bible, if you have a King James or New King James, it might say, is in you. That's not, uh, how, how, could, how could the kingdom be in them if they're not in him? You see, you've got to be in Christ in order to receive the kingdom. And so that, that's a bad translation. A better translation is in your midst, as it, as it says in the ESV here, that, that it's speaking about Jesus' presence. It's about Jesus. It's about his, his, him being in their midst, and that's why the kingdom of God is in their midst. Because Jesus is the kingdom of God. Jesus, again, is the, the place where the people of God come to the place of God under the rule of God. We are, that's why we say we're in Christ, right? When we, come to, when, we, when we come to Christ, we're in Christ. We're hidden in Christ. Why is that a big deal? Because if we're not in Christ, then we're not in the kingdom. We have to be in Christ. We don't come with Christ or a, 
adjunct to Christ, we have to be in him to be in the kingdom. He's the only way to the Father. And so you have to be in Christ in order to, to come into that kingdom. And so the people of God are, where, are, are in Christ. That's where they are. Secondly, Jesus is the place of God. It started again in the Garden of Eden. Then it came to the Promised Land when God brought them out of Egypt. Then it went to Zion, the city of God. Then finally, the place of God was known as the temple. That was the place of God for the people when Jesus showed up on the scene. The temple, that's where, they, that's where God lives, right there. God is in that place, right? It was the place of God. And yet, what did Jesus say about the temple? He said a better temple is here. And he was referring to himself because he's the place of God. He is the place of God. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 6, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. When you think of the temple, you have to think of the glory for that's where the glory of God was. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 10, it says, listen to this, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Haggai is speaking about Jesus Christ. He's saying the latter glory is greater than the former because when Jesus comes, he is the glory of God. He is the glory of God. And so when Jesus comes, he's the latter glory. And he is the way that we find peace. So Jesus becomes the place of God. So the people of God are in Christ. It, it, Jesus is the meeting place. He is the, the, the place where we meet God. And, and, and lastly, we see that he also is under the rule of God. Jesus never failed to do what God asked him to do. Never failed. He... He was obedient to the Father in all that he asked. John 17, 4 says, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you give me to do. Jesus never failed anything. And therefore, because he never failed in anything, Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name of that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the rule of God. So we have Jesus. So in Jesus we find the people of God, the place of God under the rule of God. That's the kingdom of God. Somebody better tell the Jehovah Witnesses that. Somebody better hurry up and tell them because their big deal is we preach the kingdom. Hey, we're preaching the kingdom of God. You're not preaching the right Jesus. So how can you preach the right kingdom? You got to preach the right king in order to come into the right kingdom, right? So you better start preaching the right king. He is not some angel, some angelic being that became a man. He is God that became a man. And if you want to go to the right kingdom, you got to know the right king. And so we have to make sure that we understand. Listen, everything else can fall to the sides. Who you believe Jesus Christ to be is what matters. It is what matters because the kingdom is in Christ. He is the kingdom of God. If you don't have the right understanding of who the king is, you can't come into the kingdom. If he's not your Lord and Savior, then you can't come into the kingdom. You can't think that he's a good man. You can't think that he's done enough for you. You can't think that it's Jesus plus your good works. It's in him and him alone. And who he is matters. Who he is matters. And so the next time a Jehovah Witness knocks on your door and they say, hey, we're here to preach the kingdom, you can tell them you're not preaching the same kingdom that I believe in. Because you don't believe in the same Jesus that I believe in. It's a different Jesus. And that's a problem. And I would, I would be, you know, and then you can talk to them about who Jesus is. You can lead them through the scriptures about how God became a man. And he laid down his life for us. And you can go to Hebrews chapter 1 and, and it tells you right there that Jesus is no angel. 
that he created the angels, that God himself calls Jesus God in Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is God. And so to say anything else would lead us to a different place because Jesus is the way to the kingdom. He is the king of the kingdom. We have to believe in him. Jesus is telling these guys, you have enough information, but you don't have the right interpretation. He's telling them, you've been given all that you need to, but, but it's like the, the, <laughs> the truth is staring you in the face. Your question that you asked is right before you and you're missing it. That's a warning to us. Because these people studied their Bibles. They knew the scriptures and yet they missed <laughs> the greatest prophecy ever given, Jesus Christ. The Messiah that would come, they missed him. And it wasn't for lack of information. It's because they were too inward focused on themselves. And so, you know, we know Jesus is coming back. And we know we can study the scriptures. We can know that there's enough information for us to have understanding. And yet, we, we ought not allow that to deter us from what he's calling us to do today, as it was for them, and develop some sort of elite, you know, uh, you know doctrinal, uh, you know, church that believes this, and that if you don't believe that, man, you can't come in, and, you know, you start locking people out. That's not our calling. Our calling is to bring people into the kingdom. And so we have to be careful about our doctrine and how we see scripture and how we apply it, because it will affect our calling. It'll affect the way that we are used by God in the world. It's not that you can't have strong opinions in Scripture. You, yeah, I do. I have strong opinions in Scripture. But we have to be careful that we don't allow that to detract from people when, when it becomes about, what our, about our opinion rather than really just simply about the Scripture. If they would have just stuck to Scripture, guys, they wouldn't have missed Jesus. If they would have just stuck to Scripture, but they added all these things to it. So back to the original question of the timing of the kingdom. When is the kingdom of God coming? It has come and is coming. And that's what he said. It's in your midst. It has come and it is coming. Jesus is there, so it's there, present. But also Jesus is leaving and he's coming back. And so it will come, it will come again as well in a different form. Again, two, twofold. Twofold coming of the kingdom. A spiritual coming and a physical coming. Jesus goes on next and he talks about the longing for the kingdom of God. And, and so look at verse 22 where he says his disciples now, he turns to his disciples and he says, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now, we don't know if this is a private conversation or if this happened in front of the Pharisees or, or if there was a crowd there at all. But what we know is Jesus begins to teach his disciples about this idea that he's going away. This isn't the first time they've heard this. This isn't the first time that Jesus is saying, hey, um, by the way, I'm going to be leaving soon. I'm going to be departing from this earth. And when I do, I need you guys to kind of keep going with the, the movement, right? No, he, he, he's told them multiple times this idea of his going away. There were days ahead when they would long to see Jesus and they would not see him because he won't be there physically. He was going away. Jesus wouldn't be on the earth forever. 
And when he did depart, there would be a longing for his return, for his coming kingdom. And, and, and you know what? God bless these guys. They're a little slow, you know. That's why they're called the disciples. And you and I are right alongside of them. You know, we're, we're kind of like called the word disciples too, you know. So, um, but, but here, it's like he's telling them for the umpteenth time that he's going to suffer and be rejected, that he's going to be crucified and die, and that this must happen in order for the kingdom of God to come. It has to. If it doesn't happen, there's no kingdom because there's no gospel. If there's no gospel, there's no kingdom. In order for the kingdom to come, Jesus has to die. And so he told his disciples that many times, but again, that didn't fit their theology, did it? They sort of didn't understand it and didn't really dig into it a little bit. Kind of like how you read a scripture and you're like, that doesn't really fit my theology, so you just turn the page and go on. You know, and you don't, don't even consider maybe your theology and the scripture of what, what is challenging you. You just turn the page. It's kind of what they did. Hey, I don't like that. Turn the page. And they just went on like they didn't really dig into what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean you're going away? Uh, I don't get it. Can you explain? And I don't know that they would have gotten it because they had held on to this one line of thinking, which was when the Messiah comes, he will bring in his kingdom and he will restore Israel instantaneously. That's what their thought process was. And so when Jesus would talk about dying, I'm sure he got the deer in the headlights look. You know, they're like, what? What's he mean? Dying? Let's not talk about dying. Let's talk about living. Let's talk about, you know, let's talk about overcoming Rome. Let's talk about getting rid of the tyranny of Rome and, and setting up your kingdom. And, and let's talk about me serving on your right hand and me serving on your left. Let's talk about what I get to do in the kingdom. Let's talk about those things. Let's not talk about how the kingdom comes. Well, the kingdom has to come. The only way the kingdom can come is if the king dies and rises again. He has to pay for the kingdom because the kingdom's been lost. Mankind has been separated from God. And after Jesus died and rose again from the dead, what do you think one of their first questions was? Hey, uh, when's the kingdom coming? Like, they don't even get it. Like, they don't understand. He said, well, hold on a second. It's going to come later. Like, remember the other scripture that I told you? You know, don't be discouraged. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to go be with my father. Remember those scriptures? Like, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I haven't ascended yet, so don't touch me. Remember those things, but you're still hooked on the theology of, of the day. You're still messed up here. So, you know what? I love it that Jesus just kind of leaves them like that. It's like, I'm going to depart and leave you guys right there. You'll figure it out because the Holy Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit would come upon them, and now they would start to gain understanding. And so you and I, listen, you and I are far more blessed today than any other generation that's ever lived because not only do we have information, but we have the capacity to interpret the Bible through the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send to you a helper. And that helper came. And so it's the reason, the, the reason the helper came, and that's the reason we have this even. It's the reason we have the scriptures. It's the reason we have, you know, understanding of the scriptures today is because of the Holy Spirit. I lost my place now.
So the disciples are basically at this place where Jesus is telling them, in order for the kingdom to come, I have to depart. I have to depart now. He said, don't, don't, don't follow people. There, there was some 64 people that have literally come that have been declared as by the Jews as possibly being the Messiah. After Jesus. 64 different people that they were following. Jesus knew this was going to be a problem. There would be many false Christs that would rise and say, I'm the Messiah, follow me. No, follow me. Many, and, and Paul talks about it in the New Testament. It was happening in the days of the disciples. Just, uh, you know, 10, 20 years after Jesus died, it was happening. People were surfacing saying, I'm the Messiah, follow me. And Jesus tells his disciples, do not be deceived. Do not run after these people who are proclaiming themselves to be something they are not. Let me tell you something. The next time you see me coming, you won't miss it. You won't miss it. It will be the most grand lightning show you've ever seen in your life. Like, imagine, like, you guys like lightning? And you, and you watch, you sit out your window, and you watch the lightning just crackle across the skies. You're like, whoa, look how awesome that is. Imagine that happening all at the world at once. That's what it's going to be like. Nobody would miss that. Nobody would miss that. When Jesus comes, that's what it's going to be like. Nobody is going to miss it. So you don't have to worry about, did I miss him? The Thessalonians, did you miss the rapture? Did you miss Jesus coming? You didn't miss him. You won't miss him. There's no way you can miss that. He tells his disciples, don't run after other people. Don't run after those people who would say that they are. Don't get duped into thinking that the Messiah has come because there's plenty of lunatics out there that would claim themselves to be Jesus. Plenty of them, even today. We've seen it in, our, in the past 50 years in our own history here, in our own country. And it's not going to stop. Listen, I don't know if Kanye West thinks he's Jesus or not, but I can tell you 100% that he is not. Right? Kanye West is not Jesus. Now, I don't know that he says he is or doesn't say he is. I didn't spend a whole bunch of time trying to figure it out, but regardless, he's not. So we can just put that to bed, right? He's not Jesus. The next time you see Jesus, he's going to be coming in the clouds. When he ascended from heaven in, in, into heaven, he ascended into the clouds, and the angels were standing there, and they say, what are you guys doing? Why are you disciples standing there? Go, go do what he told you to do. You know, you'll see him coming the way, that he was, the way that he left. He's going to come in the clouds. And so that's what we can look forward to. We're not going to miss it. So we have the first of the of five chronicles of the coming kingdom, the timing of the kingdom, that the kingdom is come and is coming. It's twofold. We have the longing of the kingdom. Like, we're going to long for that. God put the kingdom in your heart. That's why you long for the kingdom. When you, you long for the king of the kingdom. When you're separated from God, there's a, there's a void in your life, and you want to fill that void. You want to say, Lord, I want to fill that void with something. Well, you need to fill that void with him. He's the only one that can fulfill that void. And so God put the kingdom in your heart, and there, is, there will be a longing for that kingdom. Anybody longing for the kingdom right now? Like we're just ready to get on with it and get into the kingdom because we know the better days are ahead, right? We know that the best days for us are lying ahead, not behind us. So we're always looking forward. And there's to be an expectation to looking forward to the coming of Christ. And yet, we've been given a, a job to do. 
And so the take-home for the Christian today as it relates to the timing of the coming kingdom and the longing of the coming kingdom is don't get caught up in missing out on your part of the fulfillment of that. That God placed you in this day, in this age, in this country with the gospel in your heart so that you could go and fulfill what he told you to do, and that's to go make disciples. Go out and make disciples. Go out and tell people about Jesus. It is the number one thing that you, number one duty of a Christian is the number one thing that you're called to do. Every one of us. I don't have the spirit of evangelism. Doesn't matter. He called you. He commissioned you to go into your respective world and to share Jesus Christ with somebody. So do that. Do that. Don't sit and twiddle your thumbs waiting for Jesus to come back. Get in the game. Like he's inviting you to get in the game. He's commissioned you. He put the pads on you. He put the helmet on you and he said, now go. Get in there. Go do some damage to the enemy. Take out your sword and be offensive, not defensive. Go out and show those people that are, in, that are stuck in darkness that there's hope and that there's light and that it's in you. Don't hold that back. Who, having a light, would hide it? Let the light shine. That's what we're called to do, Christians, to go out and disciple people, to let them know. And then as you disciple them, they're called to disciple somebody else. And that work, the way that works is the mathematics on that are unbelievable. If people would do that, if they would disciple and then the next person would disciple and the disciple, we would change the entire world. The problem is, majority of people don't do that. Again, if you want to put a, a list together of most disobeyed scriptures in the Bible, I would say that would be one of them, to go out and make disciples. I don't know how to do that. It's simple. You share what Jesus has done in your life. You share what Jesus is sharing with you. That makes you have to get in the Word, doesn't it? When you have to share it with somebody else, it makes you get in the Word. I send a devotion out you know, throughout the week, and that makes me be in the Word. makes me be in the Word. You know how many, how many books of the Bible I've read through in the last couple months? Because I've got to send out a devotion five days a week, and I've got to be in the Word. Oh, come on. You're in the Word every day. That's all you do, right? No, not really. I wish. wish that's all I did. But listen, get in the game. Because the time is short. Jesus is coming. Like his second coming. We're on the brink of the second coming of Christ. Oh, they've been saying that for years. Well, you'll see. You'll see we are. They've been saying that for thousands of years, so that should even make you that more expectant today than any other generation that's ever lived that he's coming back. And so don't forget what your part in that. The kingdom has come and it is coming. And so you have an opportunity to share that with people before he comes. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come and gather and to just be encouraged, Lord, that you're coming back just like you said you would. Lord, we thank you that you came the first time and that you, in your coming, you, you step one, you opened up the kingdom of God so that we could be reconciled to you, so that we could come into the kingdom, so that we could actually become children of God. It was through your blood, Jesus, that you bled for us, that you died for us, that you reconciled us to the Father. And it's through you and you alone, Jesus, that the kingdom comes. Help us, Lord, to be propagators of the kingdom. To be propagator of the kingdom is to be propagator of the king. To tell people about Jesus. Because the kingdom of God is just not a place. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just move in our hearts this afternoon, God, to 
to put a fire under us, to live expectantly for that coming. And may that fuel the fire of our evangelistic heart, Lord, the commission that you've called us to, to go out and share the gospel with those around us. Lord, give us courage and boldness in this place today. You would help us, Lord, to not shirk the responsibility that we've been given, the honor and the privilege it is to tell people about our great God, our great King and Savior. Lord, I'd be amiss right now if I didn't ask if there was someone here that didn't need Jesus, if there was someone that wanted to come into that kingdom today by simply acknowledging that Jesus came for them, that he died and he rose again from the dead from them. The kingdom of God cannot come for that person unless they accept Jesus because he is the way to the kingdom. And so if there's anyone here today as we're continuing to pray and eyes are closed, heads are bowed, you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ today, you just raise your hand, I'll lead you through a prayer. If there's anyone that needs that relationship with Jesus, if you're not sure, you're like, man, I'm not sure, if I, but, I, but I want that. It's by faith that you accept him. And so just lift your hand. We'll, we'll bring you through a prayer, help you to understand that Jesus has forgiven you for your sin, that he wants to enter into a relationship with you, that he came for you and he died for you and he rose again. Is there anyone at all? It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life and a decision that you'll never be ashamed of. One more time, anybody feel like they need to accept Christ this morning? They want to be in Jesus. And therefore, they're in the kingdom. Just raise your hand. Lord, we just, uh, once again, we thank you. And Father, we pray that as, as we close this service, God, that you would help us to go find the lost, put the lost in our path, Lord, that we might be able to share and encourage them and that we might be do something very similar to what I just did and just say, do you want to know Jesus? He wants to save you. So Lord, help us. Give us boldness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.